So here we are, James chapter 3. Last week we looked at verse 1, a little bit of verse 2. Remember it says there, my brother, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And we talked about that in context as James, James enters into this, this section talking about the tongue. And he starts talking about the tongue, talking about the teacher who uses his tongue to teach. And absolutely teachers, and the context here, we're Bible teachers. And we talked about how in a way we're all teachers, so you know what, this isn't to ignore for some, but absolutely there's a more emphasis in this on others. You know, an individual like me, a Bible teacher, folks that teach home groups and even Sunday school and in these different areas where it's a setting where you're teaching people the Bible, we're going to have a stricter judgment. Because, listen, the teacher shapes the way people think and the way they live by their words. The teacher of the Bible is there to represent the Lord, to rightly divide the Word of God, because it is going to affect others. And we talked about the fact we need to have a reverence for the Word of God. We need to make sure when we are teaching that it is not loaded with our opinions, but instead we are giving the Word of God. And listen, the Word of God is good. And remember, God honors His Word above His own name, and God's Word is for every generation. It's for this generation today. And so with that, it would be easy for maybe the next question to be, if you look at verse 2, so teachers are going to have a stricter judgment. Does that mean that everyone else is off the hook? And the answer, unfortunately, is no. All of us are going to give an account for our words. Now listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, praise God, we're not going to be part of that white throne judgment that we read about at the end of the millennial rule of Christ as we read about that towards the end of Revelation. Because it talks about all of those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. It's individuals that did not call upon Christ, that never put their faith in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. The Bible says that when they pass away, they go to a place called Sheol where they're waiting the judgment of God. And at the end of that millennial rule of Christ, it says that the dead will give up, or death will give up the dead and they'll be resurrected and have a body that will be an eternal body. But because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to be cast in the lake of fire. But we also see they're going to be judged based on their works. And the scripture makes it very clear that there's going to be different degrees of wrath in hell. And part of that's going to be based on people's words and how they affected others and what they did concerning others. Now, praise God, as Christians, we're not going to be part of that judgment. We're freed from that through Jesus Christ, our faith in Him. We are seen righteous positionally before God through the life of the Lord. We are saved by, by grace through faith in Him. And that's a glorious thing this morning. But the Bible does speak of, and we talked a lot about it in James, the Bema Seat Judgment. Where we are going to give account of our talents and our time and our treasures. And yes, and this is something that really should make our knees knock, our words what we say. Now again, it's not that our words will condemn us if we are in Christ Jesus, we're saved. But we talked about this, how our lives are going to be tested. A fire, so to speak, is going to be put to our lives. Now praise God, the wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn away, and the hope is there's some gold, silver, and precious stones that are left over, and God makes a crown out of that. Again, not that we're puffed up in heaven and glory, and they'll check out my crown, look down at others, know that we can take that and we can throw it at the feet of the Lord like the elders there in Revelation and worship Him. But we are going to give an account for our words. 
And the Lord really wants us to know this and understand it. We also need to know and understand that our words, and this is a key in this, and we'll get more into this at the end of our message, when we talk about how, what we can do to help our tongue, our words and our tongue, they're connected to our heart. And really what comes out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. Listen to this, Matthew 12, 33 through 37, and in a second here we'll read the text and get into it, but this is setting it up. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Fruit of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure, out of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And then notice verse 36, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Again, our words are powerful. Listen to Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now this isn't speaking to this nonsense, this new agey, really, it's really based in witchcraft that I put my faith in my words and it creates my future. That's all nonsense. That's not found in the, in the Bible at all. We don't put faith in our words to shape our future like some, you know what, again, a magician or some sorcerer would do. But absolutely what comes out of our mouth is going to affect others. What comes out of our mouth is going to practically direct the course of our life. We're going to see that very clear in our scripture this morning that we are going to get into. And we're going to give an account of those words and how they affected others and how they directed the course of our life. And so again, before I read the text, listen, I'm going to prepare you. James talks about the wickedness of the tongue here. And listen, it's not, you know what, him saying, listen, some of y'all here got a problem with your tongue. He says, listen, you all got a problem with your tongue. We all got a problem with our tongues. And he says, listen, the tongue is as hell fire. That's very blatant. That is very clear. He uses many illustrations here for us to help understand the power of the tongue and, again, the wickedness of the tongue. And then he gives us this closing exhortation, these things should not be. And I want to put this out there because as we get into this, I really want to caution you as we talk about the tongue to start saying, oh, yeah, that dude over there, he's got a real issue with the tongue. Let's make this personal for all of us this morning. Let's say, Lord, you come and you judge me with your word first. Let me get the log out of my own eye or the log, you know, out of my tongue first. And then out of that, if my brother needs help, then let me go to him with a right heart attitude. So this is for all of us today. And then what we're going to do at the end of this, as he says, these things ought not to be, we're going to look in the context of this letter of some things that can help us tame our tongues. I'm going to give you a list of five things. So if you're a list writer downer, you're going to be real excited about that. I'm going to give you a list of five things and scriptures out of the book of James that can help us with our tongues. And absolutely, we need that help. Let's read here, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. 
Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature. Notice here, and is set on fire by hell. Verse 7, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no Spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now notice verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. Listen, this isn't just James' thought here. We see this truth throughout the word of God as the Holy Spirit moved upon men to pen the scriptures. As we see the continuity in scripture, we see this being reiterated throughout the word of God. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.20, there is no just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And I know this is where maybe some would protest and say, but wait a minute, I do a whole lot of good things. That's not true. It's not true. I do do good. The scripture says, though, not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. You know what? There aren't any. Because listen, doing good means that I always do good. And it means my all heart is always in the right place. And that's just not the case. We might do some good things here and there, but we don't always do good. And the Bible exposes us as sinners. Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, uh, excuse me, 64, 6, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Notice these words, all, all of us. He says it twice. And then Romans 3.10, as it is written, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And I know this is where some step back and they protest and they say, well, yes, this is me before Christ. Before Christ, you know what, my righteousness was as filthy rags. Before Christ, I did no good. And again, before Christ, I was not righteous. And on one hand, that's true. Listen, positionally, before we came to Christ and put our faith in him, we did not have right standing with the living God. We were seen as sinners under the condemnation of God. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior this morning... That's where you stand. The good news is that Christ lived a sinless life. Christ never sinned with his tongue, though he was tempted to. And we went to the cross of Calvary. He took the wrath through us upon himself. He paid the penalty, the debt of our sin. And then the wages of sin being death couldn't hold him down. He conquered death and sin when he rose from the grave. That if, again, we would humble our heart, repent, you know, acknowledge our sin and acknowledge our own lordship and say, Lord, I want you to be my God. I want you to direct my life, my life, we have salvation by grace through faith in Him. And listen, positionally we're right with Him, but practically we still got a lot of issues. Practically, listen, when He says here, we stumble in many things, He's talking about, yes, brothers, you're positionally right with God by His grace through faith in Him, but practically we stumble. And again, we see this reiterated in Scripture, the Apostle Paul. Listen, if there was anyone who didn't have, wouldn't have issues, it'd be him, right? God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament, but he had issues as well. Romans 7, 21, Paul says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. 
For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And it'd be horrible if I stopped there, but next he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then listen to what John said in 1 John 1.8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to faith, people with faith in the Lord. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Again, positionally, we're right before him. Practically, though, again, all these men are saying the same thing as the Lord moved upon them to bring truth. We all stumble in many things. And if you say, not me, that's problematic. And it's very important as we get into this that we don't come into this text with a this isn't me attitude. Because it is us. All of us. Now, praise God, verse 9, John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But verse 10, once again, he reiterates, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice again, we all stumble in many things. So I, listen, I have to say sorry to the resident Pharisee and self-righteous one. There's no exceptions for this. This is all of us. And so before we start attacking others for their shortcomings, we better first check ourselves. This is why Jesus gave the parable, remember, of the man with the log in his eye. And he goes to, again, get the speck out of his brother's eye while he has a giant log in his own eye. If you got a giant log in your eye and you're moving around to get specks out of other people's eyes, everyone's going to get hit in the head. And good things aren't going to come out of that at all. He says, get the log out of your own eye first. Then you can go take the speck out of your brother's eye, seeing circumspectly, seeing properly, knowing, listen, I just got a log out of my own eye, so I'm not going to go with this holier-than-thou attitude to my brother, but I'm going to go to him and say, brother, listen, there's a speck in your eye. The Lord just helped me get a log out of my eye. Now let me in love help you get that speck out of your eye. But again, pride blinds us to these things. This is good, though, and that it reiterates the truth that we are only justified by faith and not by works. Now, remember the section before this, James says, faith without works is dead, and indeed, that's true. If we have real faith in Jesus as our Lord, that's going to be seen. Listen, that's a major thing. When you put faith in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit of God, and there's going to be some fruit that comes out of that. And that was James' point in that, but some people take that and say, no, I am saved by by grace through faith, plus a little bit of me as they want to, again, deify themselves and make themselves a co-redeemer. But no, 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 that's not the case. Because James also says if we break one point of the law, we break the whole law. And here he says we all stumble in many things. So listen, if it's Jesus plus us, we're all going to hell. Because the Bible declares if you break one point, you break the whole thing. And we all stumble, we all continually break it in ourselves. So we give glory to God for that, that Jesus did fulfill the law, and we are saved again by grace through faith in him. And now God is wanting to sanctify us and grow us to be more Christ-like practically on a day-in and day-out basis. But let me tell you, if you got an attitude in your heart that says, not me, I've arrived, I'm, 
I am perfect, that's very problematic. And it's going to hinder the work of the Lord in your life. One other note on this. Notice we all stumble in many things. There's a big difference between stumbling and practicing sin. Stumbling is when you're up, you're going forward. And then you stumble, you trip on something. And what do you do? You get back up. The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. But the wicked falls and fails in the day of calamity. Practicing sin is I stew in it. I make provision for it. I'm not resisting it. It's the picture of not even acknowledging the error of sin whatsoever. And listen, if you're a stumbling, bumbling, wrestling Christian, you're like the rest of us. And yes, we don't want to rejoice in that and take the grace of God and use it as an opportunity to celebrate our sin. But that stumbling and bumbling and wrestling, listen, it's a sign that you're alive because otherwise you would just stew at it and you would just lay in it. So that's a good thing. Also notice here as we're setting this up, we all stumble in many things, not a few things, but many things. And sometimes we fall into that trap of saying, you know, this is the one area I really stumble in and listen, once I master that, it's just, you know what, I'm free from here now. Look at now, now I'm, 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 you know what, I'm the picture of Jesus on earth. And it's just not the case. And I think the enemy sometimes really is, he is very clever and crafty. We'll get individuals who, you know what, there's that sin that easily ensnares them. And you know what, through the help of the Lord, they do get victory over that sin. But then he brings in that next temptation, a spiritual pride. And the individual, you know what, takes a bite of that hook and gets snared and really, the spiritual pride is worse and more damaging than the carnal struggle they had before. Remember, at the end of Paul's life, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. So really, in setting this up, we all stumble in many things. And he said, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. And so since we all stumble in many things, this is exposing the fact that we all stumble with our tongues because if we could manage our tongue properly we wouldn't stumble in many things and really again the tongue reveals the issues of the heart so notice what he says next here in verse three indeed we put bits in horses mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body now listen a horse is a powerful beast even those little ones you know that the kids ride around on those are powerful beasts there's a lot of, again, we, what do we call our engines? Like horsepower. There's a reason for that. We don't call it giraffe power, we call it horsepower. Though I did see on YouTube the other day a, a giraffe take out a lion. It was, it was quite impressive. My wife's like, why do you watch that stuff? Because I'm a man is why. <laughs> but horsepower. <laughs> and you put that bit in the horse's mouth, it goes in the back of the mouth so that the head can be controlled. And if you think about it, it's really not the bit that controls the horse, but it's the individual that controls the bit, right? It's the individual on the back of that horse that has the reins that controls the horse. And I think there's an insight for us here. Are we controlling the bit or is the Lord controlling the bit? And absolutely, we need Him 
controlling the bit, which goes down to where our hearts. Our hearts, again, direct our tongues. It's very small, but it's very powerful, and it's going to direct the course of our life. This is why earlier in the epistle, in James 1.26, James said, If anyone among you thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And we talked about how religion, in the true sense, is good. Religion means I'm about the business of the Lord. That's a good thing. It's tragic that that's become a dirty word. But the reason it's become a dirty word is because of what James is saying here, the individual who thinks he's so religious. Oh, I am so pious. I am so religious. Listen, make your aim to be like me. And he says, if that's you, your tongue exposes that you're not religious at all. And if you're in that place that you think you're religious, your religion is useless. Why? Because it's marked with pride. And God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now notice verse 4, look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. These massive ships they had back then. The rudder would direct the course of the ship. And these incredible vessels we have today, made of metal, still, it's still a rudder that directs the course of that ship. But listen, it's not so much, it's the rudder, but more so it's the individual controlling the rudder, right? Whoever has reins on the rudder. We've all heard that phrase, Jesus is my co-pilot. Listen, that's problematic. Jesus needs to be the captain of the entire boat. We need to say, Lord, you take full reins because you're wanting to go this way and I'm wanting to go that way. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans. He says, we got an issue here. The Lord needs to be the pilot, but the co-pilot in me keeps rising up, wanting to take the reins from the Lord. And as a result, the conclusion is, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But see, again, the tongue is like a bit or a rudder in that it directs the course of our lives, even though it's very small. So many scriptures on this. Listen, the challenge was what scriptures to share because there's so much on it. Proverbs 13, 3, though, listen to what the word of God says. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. That's talking about the course of your life. You guard your mouth. You're careful about what you say. You're going to preserve your life. But if you just open it wide and whatever comes out, there's going to be destruction. Loose lips sink ships, right? That's biblical. Verse Peter 3.10. For he would love life and see good days. Does anyone here want to love life and see good days? Can we say amen to that? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Now listen, all of us love ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't be so obsessed with how much we're disgusted by ourselves or where our life lies. You'd be indifferent to it. The truth is, though, in loving ourselves, there are many times where we don't love life, right? And we know a lot of people that don't love life. And the Bible says, he would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Why? Because, again, the tongue reveals where the heart is. And the heart that, or the tongue that just continually spews out evil and complains and blasphemes and curses and just, you know, 
uh, boast and so forth, it reveals the heart. And you're not going to love life. And when we talk about loving life, we're not talking about an abundance of stuff. It means whether you're a base or you're abounding, you're loving, living in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's where life is found. If you're not loving life, this word this morning is exposing what the problem is. It's not your circumstance. It's your heart, and what comes out of your mouth is exposing the condition of the heart. Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Again, a well of life, it's a picture of abundant life, and it's a picture of a life-giving tongue in a tongue that praises God and points ever others to the life with the capital L, the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, there have been so many, and there are so many whose lives are in dire straits in the sense of they hate their life, and it's because of their mouth, and they don't even have a clue. And they run around, and they grumble, and they complain, and they curse others, they gossip, they backbite, they, you know what, they, they, they curse the Lord. It's just a continual spewing out. And what they don't realize is that their own mouth has put them in that state that they are in as the mouth reflects the rebellion in the heart of men. So our tongue's going to direct the course of our life. There's so many examples of this in Scripture. Listen, Satan, he was Lucifer, this angelic, incredible being, and yet what, did, what came out of his mouth? I want to ascend upon high, and I want to overthrow God. And then he fell to the earth, and then out of his mouth, he says to Eve, listen, if you eat of that tree, you're not going to die in it. You're going to be like God. And then she starts conversing outside of the word of God with him. And that's why we're in a fallen world today. But think about the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Think about the words of Paul as the spirit of God moved on him in Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See the difference in those words? Think about Ham. He comes in and he sees his father drunk and naked. And what's he do? He goes out and gets his brothers. Hey, there's a show going on in here. Come check out the old man. And then his brother said, no, it can't be that way. And they went in backwards with a blanket and they covered their father. And Ham's words put a curse on him and the others were blessed. And it wasn't Noah doing that. Noah was led by the Spirit of God in that. We're in Exodus on Wednesday night. Think about Moses, even in all his stumbling and bumbling and stuttering and so forth. Listen, when the time came to step up, Moses went into Pharaoh and said, the Lord God says, let my people go. And what came out of that? Two million people being delivered. And yet, what did Pharaoh say? He said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Didn't work out too well for him. Think about the thieves on the cross. Both of them at the beginning were cursing the Lord. And then the one wakes up and he says, listen. He says to the other guy down there on the other side of Jesus, we deserve to be here, but he's done nothing wrong. And the one he says it to says to the Lord, well, listen, get yourself down. If you get yourself down, then help me out as well. Rebellious. It was that mentality of, you know what, God's there to give me what I want in this life. And the other guy recognized, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, assuredly, you'll be with me this day in paradise. Think about Ananias and Sapphira when they lied about the proceeds that they received from the sale of their property. And listen, they had a right to keep all those proceeds, but 
They said they gave all the proceeds when they only gave part of it, and their tongue revealed their desire for the praise of men. And the scripture says they were struck down dead because of what came out of their mouth. And listen, that's a New Testament setting. And I compare that to the jailer when Paul and Silas were worshiping at midnight, and remember the jail's doors broke open and the shackles fell off men, and he was about to kill himself because he knew that he would be accountable for those lives. And they said, don't do that, we're all here. And what did he cry out? What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. And him and his household believed and they were saved. All this came out of the mouth. Listen to verse five. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Again, it's very little practically. Even if you got a big tongue, it's still little comparison to the rest of your body. Boasting continually. All the while thinking that it's building a great future and impressing all its hearers. Yet all the while in that boasting, it's opposed to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 5, be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And we all do this in different ways. Listen, there's the boisterous, blatant, you know, an individual. I am the greatest. I remember as a kid growing up, Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. Very arrogant, very clear. And then there's some that are very sly. In the midst of the prayer meeting, oh, Lord, I thank you for making me so humble. I would say the other one's probably better. At least the guy's owning up to it, right? I'm the greatest. And you know what? Well, until Leon Spinks defeats you, right? You know? Didn't Larry Holmes take care of him too? I can't remember that for sure. But we all do it is the point, but in different ways. And some people, they just boast, boast, and boast. And we're like, oh, man, this guy's boasting. But then we're guilty of doing it in a sly way, right? We're just, we're, we're better at it. Budging the books a bit, you know what? Uh, adding to the total and whatnot. We, we do it. Do, do we not all do it? Can, can we be truthful with the Lord this morning? Proverbs 10.3, for the wicked boast of his heart's desire, blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. We boast about tomorrow. We boast about what we have. We boast again in what we do when anything we do, it's only because the Lord allows us to do that and gives us gifts and so forth. And really, we got to know that a boasting tongue is an antichrist tongue. One of the marks of the antichrist is that he is boisterous. Revelation 13, 5, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And see, antichrist doesn't mean just against Christ, but it means another Christ. And when we boast, we are having an antichrist attitude because we're saying, listen, I want the attention. I want the credit, not, to, not him where it deserves, where it should be. This is why Paul says in Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we boast, let's boast in him. And then Proverbs 27, 2, let another man praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. 
And how many times, again, do we have to, or we think we have to go state our case or impress others? And then Ecclesiastes 7.21, do not take heart at everything people say, let your ear, uh, lest your ear hear your servant cursing you, for many times also your heart has known that even you have cursed others. I think that's kind of an umbrella over this. Let's boast in the Lord. Let's not boast of ourselves. And if someone's ripping us apart before we get all high and mighty, oh, yeah, I've done that before. How many times, you know, they're talking about me. Now I've got a righteous stance against them. How dare they do that? And meanwhile, in our heart, we're going, oh, yes, I've got a reason to rise up and be puffed up. And it's like, you hypocrite, you do that all the time yourself. Or we do it all the time ourselves. He says, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Listen, we're in California. We know all about little sparks, right? A couple summers ago, there was a, there was a guy towing an RV or a trailer and it was towing a car and it was going through California at the top of every grade out of an exhaust pipe it would begin to shoot stuff out, and we had all these fires on top of graves, one in Cuesta, and it was one little spark coming out of that vehicle. I saw the picture. I'm like, how is that? Le- it looks like a train going down the road. Or maybe it's just that chain being dragged. A little spark comes off it. Or that cigarette that's flicked out there into the weeds, and the next thing you know, there's millions of dollars of damage that is done. That's our tongue. That's my tongue. That's your tongue. And listen, it spreads in part because there's a lot of kindling out there. And you know what the kindling is? Our ears. Because these are connected to our hearts as well. Proverbs 17, 4, an evildoer gives heed to false lips and a liar listens eagerly to spiteful tongues. And when you get a situation, you get a group of people together that are not yielded to the Lord, you're going to get a lot of them talking and you're going to get a lot of them love, who are loving listening. And before you know it, a fire starts brewing and people just start getting consumed in it. It's a world of iniquity. These are weighty words. We looked at this last week, Proverbs 10:19 in the multitude of words sin is not lacking so we start talking before you know it we start sinning that's why the scripture says listen a fool even sees, seems wise or is perceived as wise when he keeps his mouth shut defiles the whole body again it directs the course of our life This talks about the course of nature. Again, nature, talking about carnality versus spiritual things. It's set on fire by hell. The word here is Gihon. It's the Valley of Hinnom. It was outside of Jerusalem where the dump was, and the fire burned 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so they could burn their trash. It's where Christ was crucified, and it's a picture of hell that will burn forever and ever and ever. That's our tongue. So listen, take heed. If he starts thinking, I got to control this tongue. No, it's always on fire. It always needs to be put in check. It always needs to be watched. You ever have a day, you go the whole day, and you feel like you've been worshiping the Lord and so forth, and then the next thing you know, you're spewing out something. You're like, oh, I want to get that back. You can. It's out there. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's just rough right there. And it is true. We've, made, we've, we've trained men, men 
tame lions and bears. I remember going to a friend's house one day and all of a sudden a wolf comes walking around the corner. This thing's just massive. Oh yeah, that's our pet. That's Rover. I'm like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> but it's not just parrots. People tame hawks and crows and snakes and iguanas and dolphins and killer whales. But no man can tame the tongue. Notice, it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It's in Romans 3.13. Their throat is an open tomb. Open tombs stink. It takes more than a tic-tac to mask that funk. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their, tongue, their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So much damage done with the tongue. And then notice verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father, with it we curse men who have made in the similitude of God, out of the same mouth proceeds blessings, or blessing and cursing. And how many times we're praising God, oh I love you Lord, and then we turn around and we curse men, we say things to, you know what, their harm, that's really what that means. And we say, but I'm loving the Lord, but the real truth is when we're doing this, we're not loving them and we're not loving the Lord. I always talk about you can only fulfill the second commandment if you're first walking in the first commandment. But listen, if you're saying I'm walking in the first commandment but not walking in the second, you're not fulfilling the first either. Listen to this exhortation in Psalm 50 verse 16, and we need to hear it because it was said to, re to religious Israel in the midst of their worship. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? Again, it was a group of people that came to worship the Lord, and they went through the motions, but the word of God and the instruction, they just said, we're not going to take it to heart. And see, it's the heart issue. Verse 18, when you saw a thief, you consented with him, and you've been a partner with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. And how many times do we go on some rant and we think, oh yeah, the Lord's like, go get them. But I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver you. And then verse 23, whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct, con conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. In other words, humble your heart and praise me. He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Can we say amen to that? He's saying these things aren't okay. And sometimes we excuse these things away, right? Well, you know, that's just the way I was raised. That's, I just speak my mind. That's the way that I am. You know, people, I, people say I'm a breath of fresh air because I always say what's on my mind. And you're like, who told you that? <laughs> they lied to you. That ain't a breath of fresh air. That's like an open tomb. Jesus never sinned with his lips. He never lied. He never boasted. He never blasphemed, complained, gossiped, and so forth. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, and bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now notice here, he calls us brother and twice here. He's talking to the church. These things 
ought not to be, ought not to be so. And here's the thing, listen, the brethren is talking about those with faith in Christ. We're good trees. Are you in Jesus this morning? Can you say amen to that? You're a good tree because of him. We're righteous because of him. Absolutely. He doesn't say, can a fig tree produce thorns? He says, can it bear olives? And what we got here are good trees producing something they shouldn't be producing, and it can't be that way. It ought not to be that way. There's a problem here. So as we close here, I'm going to give you five practical things that we can do, all from the book of James. The first one's kind of long. You might say that's four things, but, you know, I'm going to make it one thing. What are some things we can do? Let's start by cutting out our tongues. No, that's not, that's not number one. Listen, this goes together if you just think about it here. Number one, let's deal in truths and not deny our sin. Let's take heed to our lives and humble our hearts. In other words, listen. We all just got exposed by the word of God. Let's not resist that. It's interesting because next James says, and we'll get into this, the Lord willing, next week in James 3, 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So as the word of God has exposed us, let's not deny the truth. If we deny the truth, then that's earthly, sensual, and demonic. We're not being led by the Holy Spirit. We are being led by unholy spirits. And James talks about humility. See, this is the heart. I've got to humble my heart so my mouth isn't continually spewing out these boastful things. James 4, 6, down through 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, <clears throat> you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself on the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's not resist this this morning. Let's not say, well, I, listen, I don't stumble in many things. That's for all them other people. Let's not go out and say, man, I got, I got control of my tongue. That's a lie. That exposes you. I got control of anything. Let's be truthful. We got an issue with our mouth. We got an issue with coming out of our cake hole. Number two, and I think it plays into number one, but let's confess our sin and begin to pray for wisdom with our words. James 5, 16, confess your trespass to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Perhaps we need to ask for forgiveness to someone who we've been talking about. But the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he says, if you lack wisdom, listen, this exposes we lack it. Let's begin to ask the Lord, Lord, I need your help. I need wisdom. I need you to go before me with my mouth. Number three, let's begin to be mindful of our words and practice not popping off. You're like, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Listen, some of this stuff is practical. 
Boy, we're good at judging everyone else's words, right? And we should judge other words. Listen, we're to contend for the faith. We're to expose false doctrine. But we have to do that without being contentious and getting into judging people's hearts. But boy, we judge everything said about us, don't we? We, begin to, we need to begin to, again, be mindful of what we're saying. Remember James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we were in that text, I was studying that week, and, and, I, and, I, and I caught myself doing something I know I have issue with, getting upset at other drivers. And it's, it's not necessarily coming out in a, you know what, uh, well, I won't get into that, but, <laughs> but just a frustration and saying stuff under my breath. And it's like, I, I need to be mindful of this. There's been many times I've been the idiot on the road. And by the grace of God, I think I've improved a little. I know the other day, dude, I had some turtle in front of me on the highway, and I'm just like, where's a cop when you need it? This guy needs a ticket for going too slow. Dude, you can't go 25 and a 55. What's wrong with you? And then I get a little closer, and he hits the brakes, and then it's like, okay, now I know you're just trying to get me, right? <laughs> and the Lord brought that verse to my mind. I said, you know what? I'm just going to lay off here. I'm not, I don't want to take the bait. I've already taken the bait, but I want to spit out the bait. <laughs> Lord, help me. Help me, God. I'll probably be really be tempted when I go home this afternoon, so you need to be keeping me in my prayers after, you know, after all that. Number four, two left here, we're almost done. We need to daily tend to the garden of our hearts. Remember in James 1.21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the word implanted which is able to save your soul. Mom had it right growing up, garbage in, garbage out. Jesus said, out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. And boy, there is a lot of trash in this world, isn't there? And there's a lot of stuff we willfully sit down and we take it in and other people say well I don't get my theology from that and that's good but we need to know he says don't be deceived whatever you sow you reap and if we're just continually sowing in again these things that are not godly it's going to affect what's coming out of our mouth lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and instead in our hearts let's get more of God's word in our heart receiving it with meekness not resisting it not resisting a text like this in our pride and our arrogance let the Lord come in and get that seed deep in our heart. That again, what would come out of our mouth would be a heart that is yielded to Him. And then lastly here, listen, James 1.16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. You're like, well, how does that help my tongue? It helps our tongues because so many times we are deceived because we don't acknowledge God in his good gifts like the blessed breath that we just took, but we continually complain. And again, we've talked a lot about this lately. He says to be thankful in all things. Why? Because he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And I really believe the more that we can practice thankfulness and make it our aim. Listen, I want to give thanks to the Lord even in difficulties, even in trials. Even in this person talking about me or whatever it is, I want to give him thanks. It will begin to shape the course of our life. We're, we're a nation of complainers. We got it. We got so many blessings. And yet we are so good at complaining about those blessings, are we not? 
Let's stand up and close in prayer. Worship of the Lord. Lord, we bless you this morning, God, and we've been exposed here. I've been exposed. We need help, Lord. I would hope and pray this morning, God, that the pride of our heart, God, will not keep us from the good work you want to do in our lives through your word. I would hope and pray, God, that through the course of this message, if we had someone else on our mind and we're thinking, oh boy, I hope they're hearing this. Maybe they do need to hear it, but we need to hear it too. That we would take it to heart. I know, Lord, you didn't give all these illustrations through James for us just to say, okay, well, that's an interesting thought, but you're trying to drive the point home. These things ought not to be. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for the garbage that so readily spews out of our mouths. And get hold of our hearts this morning, Lord. I would open and pray collectively, Lord, we could say, give us wisdom, God. As the scriptures declare there, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Lord, we need to pray fervently concerning this issue. And even as the seed of your word's been sowed into our hearts, I hope and pray we've received it with meekness. Lord, I know this isn't just, you know what, oh, that one Sunday we talked about these things. This is a daily thing, so help us. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard the gospel this morning. You've heard the bad news and our sin. We're separated from the Lord. But Jesus went to the cross to make that way of salvation. Call on him today. Humble your heart this morning. Repent and put faith in him. Turn from your way and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The Bible says if we believe in our heart, we confess our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God's ra- God is raised from the dead, we will be saved. Confessing his Lord is, again, not just with our lips, but the heart saying, Jesus, be my God. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me. He'll meet you where you're at. Let's worship the Lord as we close. Let's lift our voices to him. Oh, oh, oh.
Altar's going to be open up here. If you'd like to get prayer this morning, I encourage you to come up or spend some time there with the Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus.